Paul Burkhart and I go back a few years. In fact, Paul Burkhart was in my group at warfare camp, and he was one of the students. And uh, he leaned over and said, hey, hey, we're the monkeys. And I said, what? And, it, and I remembered we went around singing. We had to come up with a song, and we used that, hey, hey, we're the Christians or something like that. I forget. But uh, we've gone back. Uh, he's a few years younger than I am. But this young man is a man of God. He loves the Lord, and he has a consistent walk with the Lord. It's been incredible to see him grow. And when God called him out of youth pastoring, he, we served in Ohio together. When he called him out of youth pastoring to go to missions, I knew that God had a great plan and uh, that God was going to use Paul and Crystal in an awesome way. Since they went on their first term, they had one child then. Now they have three and one on the way, and I'm sure we'll hear about that. But this morning... We like to do something called a Royal Gateway Welcome, and we want to welcome Paul Burkhart this morning well. Missionaries are heroes, giving of their hearts and their lives, and so let's together this morning welcome Paul Burkhart, and let's hear from his heart this morning. Amen? Let's stand and let's worship. He's a hero! tell me, Ben, you were going to do that to me. Oh, I don't think I'd let him. Well, good morning. Let me just, I want to take a few moments to uh, just introduce a little bit of what we're doing uh, overseas to give a shareholder's report, let you know what your money has been invested in, because it is an investment and it's a partnership. Listen, we're missionaries, we're overseas, we're doing what God's called us to do, but we're helping you fulfill the mission and the purpose that God has called you to as well. And the reality is, is that we can't do it alone, okay? We cannot go overseas and do what God's called us to do on our own. We need churches like you, people like you, to partner, to invest, to become co-workers together. And so let me just tell you, every story that you hear this morning, everything that we talk about, it's not just our family and what we've accomplished. This is what you have accomplished. This is what this church has an investment in. You are literally a shareholder. And I think I, when we were going out the first time, we sat at a lunch, and I told you the conviction in our hearts that when we go overseas, the people that have invested in our lives and in our work, that we would reap a great reward. Listen, if you're an investor, you're going to expect some dividends. And we want to bring the greatest dividends that you can possibly have. And so that's why we're there. That's why we're here sharing with you, not just so that we can raise funds, but so that we can inspire you to invest in the greatest investment that this world has. My family and I, we are missionaries to the country of Laos. 
Laos is a tiny forgotten nation in Southeast Asia. It's communist. It's close to the gospel. It's hostile towards Christianity. It's a place that literally on every single day, persecution happens. It's a place where being a Christian is not technically illegal, but assembling and telling other people about Jesus is illegal. Owning a Bible is an illegal offense. It's a place where our Christian leaders are, are persecuted. They've been put in prison. They've had their homes and their possessions taken from them. In fact, one of our main pastors, just before we arrived in Asia, was standing in the pulpit of his own home. They meet in house churches in these small underground meetings because it's secret, because they're concerned about the government. And he's literally there standing and preaching God's word to about 20 or 30 gathered. And someone sticks a gun to the back of the window of his own home, and they gunned him down and they murdered him for preaching the name of Jesus Christ. It's a country where my home is tapped, where my phones are, are tapped and bugged, where our mail is open, where we're followed by the secret police. The secret police have been in our own home. They've interrogated us. They've threatened the people that we've worked with, that if we don't quit our Christian activities, they will be the ones that suffer the sacrifices. Laos has a lot of political problems. But even beyond that, Laos has economic problems. It ranks number four in the world, the most undeveloped. What that means is that there's not one grocery store in the entire nation of Laos. Think about that. There are three elevators in the capital city, one escalator. There's no railroads. There's just a few roads, a few thousand cars in this entire nation of over 7 million people. The average person literally still lives without electricity, without running water, without indoor plumbing. That is the average status quo in this nation. But even though Laos has political problems and economic problems, the biggest problem that the nation of Laos has is this simple statistic. Statistically speaking, 0% of the nation has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Zero. What's even more shocking to us is that 2% of an entire nation in this world has ever heard the name of Jesus Christ. Four years in and out of this nation, I have never met one person who knew who Jesus was. We were just back in Laos a few months back. I was back taking care of some visas, and I was taking a pastor there, and we were walking through, and I sat down with one of the guys you saw in the, that video, and he's lead, one of our converts, and he's leading a new group, and he began to tell me a story about how just a few months before we arrived, the, the troops stormed into his gathering, into his house meeting. He's been saved for a year and a half, and he's gathered about 20 or 30 new believers, and six or seven guys barge into their, their meeting, and they're carrying AK-47s, they're dressed in camouflage, and they start yelling and screaming, and they line all the guys up against the walls, and they start taking names and taking pictures, and they're asking them, why are you betraying your country? Why are you taking on a Western belief system? Why are you abandoning your families and your culture and this whole thing? And they sit them down and they say, we understand you Christians have beliefs. We want to understand what you believe. And so they sat down and he goes, Paul, we didn't just tell them what we believe. We testified to them. And after they got done testifying to them, they said, we understand you Christians have your own songs. We want to hear your songs. And he said, we didn't just sing. We worshiped for them so they could hear what worship was. And he said, at the end of their time together, those soldiers looked at them and said, you can leave this house, but the only way you leave is if you deny your, your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you abandon and you go back to Buddhism and back to the, the communist belief system. He said, for four days, no one in that house left. Four days. After four days, the soldiers were so frustrated and so uh, just exhausted, they finally said, you can be Christians and you can meet here, but there's no way you can allow anybody else to come. We've got your names and we're going to be watching you. And after that end of that story, this young man who's just 22, 23 years old looked at me and a smile came over his face and he said, since that day, 13 new people have come to know Jesus Christ. You have a hand in that. You have a hand in a nation, a lost and unreached nation, having the opportunity to hear about our God.
and our Savior. Thank you. You clapped for me, but let me just tell you what. When we're over there, we're, we're so thankful. We're clapping for you. Love you, buddy. Wow. I've watched Paul for years. And the consistency and just the, uh, the heart he has for the Lord is, is, is passionate. You can sense that. We wanted our kids to hear from Paul this morning in a moment, in a window. And, uh, and what we'd like to do at this point is to uh, dismiss our kids uh, to head with Pastor Mark. They're going to be doing some BGMC, uh, Boys and Girls Missionary uh, Crusade. And uh, they're going to be uh, talking about missions separately. But let's do this. Um, Paul, we, we're excited to hear what God has put on your heart for us this morning to challenge us. But let's take just a 30-second time out. Let's, uh, let's stand together. And, uh, and kids, elementary students, workers uh, that are with Pastor Mark, you guys can be dismissed. Let's turn and shake someone's hand, and uh, we'll take just a, a few seconds, and then uh, Brother Paul will be back. Amen. Amen. If you could return to your seats, we have 
Appreciate that. Amen. I want to make sure we're not missing any first-time guests. Uh, didn't, I'm not sure if we had any first-time guests. I know we have a few that are returning for the second time, which is wonderful, and the third and fourth time. And we just want to say welcome. Um, I don't see anyone. So, so what we're going to do, we're going to turn things back to, to Paul Burkhart and just ask uh, that our hearts will be open. And at the end of the service, we'll, uh, we'll prepare to, to receive one offering for tithes and offerings and then also an opportunity to bless Paul. And uh, we'll, we'll give some instruction uh, at the very end after we spend some time with the Lord. And so, Paul, come on back and challenge us. Amen. Got to turn on my mic. There we are. Well, good morning. Are you anticipating a time with our Lord? Listen, I want to just prepare you this morning that I really believe God wants to speak to our hearts, and I want us to kind of begin to prepare our minds and our hearts and our lives that direction. Um, sometimes we can go through a routine, and we can get used to different things that we do in our lives, and I, I want us to just try to break out of that this morning, and I want us to just allow the Lord to speak to us. And I want to share what we've been doing and what we've been up to, but more importantly, I want the Lord to speak to us, because we didn't come here just to interact with friends. We didn't come to see people or hear funny stories from halfway around this world. We came because there's a God that's alive and well, and he wants to impact our lives. He wants to speak to us this morning. And I just feel so such confirmation when Pastor Ben was even sharing with me this morning when we were having coffee about this year being a miracle year for this church. I just, there is just such a confirmation in my spirit. And I just want to challenge you to just begin to understand that that miracle begins today. That that miracle that God has for this church begins this moment. With our being obedient and yielding our lives to God, it begun, begins today. Do you have the anticipation this morning? Amen? That's not good enough for me. Do you have the anticipation this morning? Amen. Amen. We got to get something clear this morning. Okay, everybody my whole life has talked back to me. I don't get a lot of respect no matter where I go. My wife talks back to me. My kids talk back to me. You can feel free to talk back to me. See, that's not, that's not working for me here. All right, now we're talking. This morning, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I want to begin by giving a, a preface uh, for what we're going to be talking about. And I'll just start with a story. When we arrived in Asia, Laos is a communist nation. It's very difficult to gain access to live in Laos and to work in Laos. And so we were stuck in Thailand. When we landed in Thailand, we were told it would take three months, and then three months turned into six, and then nine, and almost a year and a half. And it was becoming very frustrating for me because my family and I were very passionate and to feel like you have a burden and a call upon your life and to feel like the doors and the windows are being slammed shut, it's a very discouraging time. And so we're making these trips back and forth on tourist visas into the nation of Laos, just trying to get a feeling for what God would have us accomplish in this nation. And it was close to the end of our time before we got our visas, and we went to a town called Luang Pabong. And I know that's a funny word, but it's the spiritual capital of this nation. This nation is primarily Buddhist, and we're there with another family, and we're just there to, to ask the simple question, God, what do you want us to accomplish in this place? And it was, on a, it was in the afternoon or evening, we sat down at one of the local open-air restaurants, and we're eating some, some Asian food, and we just started discussing this, and we said, we need to get up in the morning, and we need to pray and ask the Lord what we are supposed to do in this nation. What is his calling, his purpose for our lives in this place? And so the next morning before the sun rose up, we got up out of our, our beds, of our small hotel rooms, and we started walking the streets of this, this small Asian town. 
I remember so vividly, the Mekong River runs on one side of the city, and there's another river called the Nam Khan that comes into the Mekong right there, forms this peninsula, and the, the foothills of the Himalayan mountains are off into the background. And I remember just this amazing scene, and we're walking, we're crying out to the Lord, and the sun starts to come up over the mountains. And as the sun crested those mountains, the drums and the cymbals and the gongs of the Buddhist temples started to be sounded. It's the call to the morning prayer, the more, to, more to the morning giving of, to the monks. And so what this is, is a symbol to the monks and to the people to begin to make preparations for the morning offerings. And so what happens is these young men with shaved heads and shaved eyebrows, completely dressed in orange with a yellow sash and the silver baskets, literally come streaming out of these temples, hundreds if not thousands. And they're walking single file, and each of them's designated to a neighborhood, to an area, and they're walking along. And as those drums are being sounded, people are literally flooding to the streets. And they have their baskets of rice and vegetables and fruit. And they come and they literally kneel down on the edge of the streets, just like this. You may have saw, seen a picture. And as these monks go by, they take pieces of food and fruit, and they put them in the baskets of those monks. And that's how those monks eat on a daily basis. And I'm watching this scene, and I know the, the struggles that we've had with the communists and the, getting the visas and, and the, just the, the spiritual darkness in this place. And I'm just crying out to the Lord saying, God, what do you want us to do in this place? And it was in that moment the Lord gave us a portion of Scripture out of Isaiah chapter 40, 40 verse 3. And if you know Scripture, you know that this is the Old Testament prophecy about John the Baptist. And this is what it says. It says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. And in that moment, we began to understand that we can't stand in a pulpit and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ in a nation like this. We can't hold evangelistic rallies. We can't even have an open conversation with people without making sure the relationship has been established and you trust the person without fear of who's going to find out and what's going to happen to them and what's going to happen to us. But we can do this. You see, we began to understand that in that moment, the same purpose and the same calling that God gave John the Baptist over 2,000 years ago to prepare the way for his world to encounter the Messiah, to recognize the Messiah, was the same purpose and the same calling he was giving to us. So that the people that we rub shoulders with the people that we interacted with on a daily basis, those that we spent time with and worked with and played with, that when Jesus Christ came knocking at the hearts of their lives, they would not just recognize him as a mythical creature or a storybook tale. They'll recognize him as the Messiah, the king of their lives. And what we've come to understand, church, listen, over the last four years, we have lived this out in our lives. But what we've come to understand is that this calling, this purpose that God gave John 2,000 years ago and he gave our team and the people we work with four years ago is not just a calling and a purpose for prophets and for missionaries. It's for every single person that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Do you hear what I'm saying? That it's your purpose and your calling. It's one of the things that God has responsibilities that God has placed upon your life that you are to prepare the way for those around you to encounter Christ. That when you're at Starbucks, or when you're at the gas station, or when you're at your workplace, or in your neighborhood, or when you're with your family, or in your school, it's your responsibility to live in such a way that prepares the way 
for them to encounter Christ in a real way. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at the life of John. I want to grab a few moments from his life that I think will help us understand how he was able to prepare the way for the Messiah to come into his world so that we can better understand how we can prepare the way for the Messiah to come into ours. Are you with me? Do you understand? All right. So the first key moment that we need to talk about is this simple fact is that John was born with a purpose. If you turn over to Luke, and I apologize because we're looking at his life in a topical way. We're going to bounce a little bit around in the, in the New Testament, and we're going to grab some, some key moments. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 59, just a few days after John's birth. Luke chapter 1, verse 59. You guys are way too quiet for me. Luke chapter 1, verse 59. Amen. It says, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child, and he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Verse 66 says this, Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. You see, if you know this story, you know that it begins long before this moment, right? It begins probably in most of our minds in the temple when Zechariah is there doing his duty. The angel Gabriel shows up, begins to prophesy to Zechariah, John's father, that he's going to have a son, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, that it's his responsibility to name him John. But what does Zechariah do? He laughs, right? God shuts his mouth. Zechariah doesn't speak the entire time, the entire pregnancy. How many women like that? The entire pregnancy, he doesn't say a word. And it isn't until this moment when he's obedient to God that Zechariah's mouth is open and he's able to speak. But that's not what's important. What's important here is we understand this simple little tidbit that John was born with a purpose. Listen, John was not only born with a purpose, but God knew John before he was born. And he had a purpose for John before he was born. Do you understand that before his parents had any conception that he would exist on this planet, God knew John, did he not? He's the one that told his parents that he would exist. But what we understand from Scripture, and if you gather and you begin to understand the Word, we begin to realize that God not only knew John before his parents did, but God knew John from the beginning of time, from the creation of this world. God knew John. God had a plan for John's life. God loved John, and God had a purpose for his existence on this planet. How important was John's purpose? Talk to me. How important? Extremely critical. Critical to your life, last time I checked, right? Critical to mine. But what's interesting is everything that I've said about John's life, that this book says about John's life, it's not only said about John, but it's said about you. Think about that. The problem is, or perhaps the question I need to ask you, is that do you think that your purpose and your plan is any less important than John's? See, John is not God-man. He's not half Messiah. He's not super spiritual. He's flesh and blood, human being, just like you and me, with a purpose given by God. 
and so are you. I need to move on. I could spend all day here. Um, <laughs> the second moment in John's life, and, and I'll get into a story here in just a minute. The second moment in John's life that we need to pay attention to, not only was John born with a purpose, not only are you born with a purpose, but the second thing is that John was called. And we've talked a little bit about his calling, but I want to look at it in a little bit different way. If you turn over a page to Luke chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, we're going to look at John's calling. Verses chapter 3, Luke 3, 2 through 4 says this. It says, During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, we read it, prepare the way for the Lord. You see, where was John called? I don't want to just talk about the calling. I think we understand that John was called to prepare the way, but I want to look at the situation in which John was called because it plays an import in our lives. Where was John called? We just read it. In the desert. Some versions will say wilderness, right? Any biblical scholars in this place know what John was wearing at the, this particular time in history. Scripture tells us in other portions, but we're not going to take the time to explore all that. What was John wearing? Camel's hair. What was John eating? Locust and honey. We all know what he ate. I don't understand that. I don't know what he was wearing, but what he ate was kind of weird. Now let's just think about the religious groups of this time. Where are they? They're in the temple, and what are they wearing? Robes. I imagine the, the big flowy robes with the big chef's hat. You know what I'm talking about? Long beard. And they're eating the best that the world has to offer, right? It's kosher, but it's, it's not pork, it's not shrimp, but they're eating the best that their, their culture has to offer at that time. If we were to bring our two groups, our two individuals or groups into this world today, who is John? Don't say a missionary. Who is John? <laughs> Think about it. Listen. He's a young man, probably in his late 20s, early 30s, living in the wilderness all alone, wearing animal skin that he has probably pulled off of the animal himself, eating bugs and honey. Who is John? Homeless. He's the hobo under the bridge. He resembles the Unabomber, right? More than a Christian or a believer of that day. And I hate to break this to you, but in this time, in this day and age, this is not normal for young people to be doing either. Just as crazy as it would be today, there's, the, you know, the, the, there's a whole underculture in the U.S. of these guys that backpack across America and through Asia, and they just kind of hitchhike, and they do these crazy things living on five bucks. That's the kind of guy this is. He's literally a hobo, a bum, a guy that sleeps under the bridge. He's a guy that is surviving in the woods alone. And yet what we can understand is that in this very unique, probably half-lucid moment in his life, God decides to show up, and what does he say? He says, now is the time for you to begin preparing the way for the Messiah to come into this world. And what we can understand from this is that it doesn't matter the situation of life we are in. It doesn't matter whether we're young or old. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor, have a house, no house, car. It doesn't matter if we have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews. It doesn't matter. But at any moment, at any time, the Holy Spirit can show up and say, now is the time. Now is the time for you to prepare that person to encounter me. Now is the time for you to help that your boss or your family member or your coworker. It's, now is the time. 
One of the best examples I have of this is when we first moved into Laos, and so now we're living in this place that's just completely wild. We were making what we called exploratory evangelism trips into this, this nation because we had had missionaries in the past in and out, but we haven't had a consistent presence in this nation. And so we're just trying to understand the people and, and, and what the, the underground church is doing. And so we're making this trip, and we're trying to go to a particular tribal group called the Aka people. Now, Laos has about 130 different tribal groups. The Aka people are considered to be the most primitive of these people. So the other tribal groups actually refer to them as being half animal because of the way that they live. They're just, it's, it's filthy, and they're, they're just their belief system is, is crazy. They not only are not Buddhists, but they're what they call animists. They're spirit worshipers. They worship demons. Uh, on top of that, they still participate in animal sacrifices and as well as human sacrifices. So you just kind of get an idea of the kind of people. We're in the number four most primitive place on the planet, dealing with the most primitive people in that place. And so what we did is we loaded up our gear in a backpack. We threw it in the back of a pickup truck. We drove to the end of the road, and we started walking. About three or four hours walking through the Southeast Asian jungles, we finally come to this village. Now, the village is built up on a, a mountaintop. It's kind of like a, a large hill, small mountain. We're in the foothills of the Himalayas, so it's not like the Himalayan mountains, but it's, it's, it's definitely got some elevation. And, and as we approach, you see that the village is built in a circular pattern. It's the, all the huts are arranged in a circular way, and there's this large bamboo fence that goes all the way around the village. And as you get closer, you see that there's only one gateway into the village, and there's this post on the right and a post on the left, and there's this large bamboo beam that goes across the top. And as you approach that gate, you see that the post has literally been painted in blood and that there are the parts of animals have been nailed and tied to these posts as sacrifices to the spirits. Now, I would be lying to you if I did not have second thoughts about walking through that gate, okay? This is not Halloween. This is not a scary movie. This is reality. These are serious, serious situations. I remember not only saying, God, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but Lord, protect me. And as we walk through that gate, I have to be honest, it is a physical oppression. It is a darkness. It is not just something that you get the goosebumps. This is physical. You feel the difference. After spending a couple hours in the village, my, we were there with two friends I believe Joe Gordon was, he's been here before, and Joe was there with us. We worked with Joe, and, and we had another guy that was traveling with us. And, and, and we made the decision that if we were going to do what we're talking about this morning, prepare the way for them to encounter Christ, we had to stay. Now, I have to be honest, when we had our little holy huddle, I was not in favor of staying in this place. I wanted out. But after we talked, we decided, listen, we have to stay. If they're going to encounter Jesus Christ, we have to be here. And so as the sun began to set, we were shown our hut, and uh, we, this is where we would sleep, and we started going over there, and I started inspecting it, and it didn't really meet code. It's built out of bamboo. Listen, bamboo is not made for Western people that weigh more than 200 pounds, okay? It's built for small little Asian people that weigh 85. It's just, and we're getting up in this thing, and this hut is moving back and forth. We're on the top of this hill thing, and I'm thinking we're going to roll down in the middle of the night. It's just not a good situation. And this hut is like a storage hut for the village. And so there's sacks of rice and different things all over. And I walked over to the corner of the hut and I grabbed a sack of rice to make room for my sleeping mat. And I grabbed it and I started dragging it across the floor. And as I dragged it across the floor, about 50 roaches went all over the place. Yeah. 
Now, let me tell you this. Ben will verify this. I have to tell you this before I tell you what I'm going to tell you. I'm a tough guy, okay? Come on now. That, that's funny, people. I'm a tough guy. Listen, I drive a truck. I have power tools. I grunt a lot. I wear camouflage because I think it's cool. I tell people this is a costume. I'm a recovering redneck, okay? This is who I am. I hunt. I fish. You know, I believe we should eat what we kill. That's, that's my personality. And when those roaches went all over the place, I squealed like a little girl, okay? <laughs> Listen, when I was 16, I went on my first mission trip to El Salvador. To make a long story short, I slept on the floor of a church in El Salvador. I woke up at about 2 o'clock in the morning with the feeling that things were crawling on my face. And then I realized things were crawling on my face. I wiped them off. I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't because I had this strange sensation in my ear. Yeah. A small cockroach had found his way down into my ear canal and had gotten stuck. Yeah. Scratching on my brain. Not a happy moment in my life. To say the least, I despise roaches. Okay? Hate them with every ounce of my being. And the two guys with me know this story. They are laughing their heads off because I am dancing around this hut like a little girl. They, no, can you believe this? They lay out their mats and they go to sleep. I am left there wide awake. It's impossible for me. My eyes are as big as a saucer staring into the blackness of this hut going, oh Lord, don't let anything crawl on me. I remember digging through my backpack at one point, trying to find things to shove in my ears and up my nose. I did not want things crawling in the holes of my head. I literally had a sock at one moment, and I am trying to pull a sock over my face. Listen, I learned two things. I have a really big head, and you cannot breathe through a sock. It's humanly impossible. After about two and a half hours of this, I am about to fall asleep. I'm at that moment between sleepfulness and wakefulness. And I am literally, this, I am not exaggerating. I remember so vividly saying, thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping me sleep in this place. And in that exact moment, something came flying through the air and landed on my head. <laughs> and it was not small. It made a thud, okay? I was up in a heartbeat. I am shaking my bag. I am emptying my backpack. The guys next to me have no clue what's going on, but they're doing the same thing. The hut is doing this. I mean, we are, it's just crazy. They go back to sleep, and I'm just going, there's no way. To make a, a long story short, because I could tell this for probably a half hour, the rest of that night looked like this. I had a demon-possessed cat attack me numerous times throughout the night. I finally chase it out of the hut through an open window in the hut. As it goes out the hut, I am thanking the Lord that we are 10 feet off the ground, and that poor cat has to try to land on its feet. But as it goes through the thing, as it goes through the window, there's a chicken on roosted on the windowsill that I did not know was there, a rooster. And when chickens are scared by things going through windows, what do they do? They crow. And that little dude, he'd been taking steroids. He crowed his little heart out, scared me to death. I fell back, put my rear end to the floor of that hut. But what happened next was very frustrating because when he crowed, what did he do to the rest of the roosters in that stinking little village? They started to crow. And for the next hour and 56 minutes, I timed it with my watch. Hour and 56 minutes, every rooster on that stinking mountaintop crowed over and over and over again. I finally got to sleep, but there's no sleeping when the village is up. The village wakes up at 6 o'clock. 
They're in your hut. They're wanting to see what your PJs look like. They're poking you. And so we're getting up out of the hut. I've had the worst night of my life. And I have three children, okay? Just so you get, that's funny too. Come on now. <laughs> have you never been with a child that doesn't sleep through the night? Okay. I remember so vividly, we walked over to our bags. We grabbed our Bibles. And we walked over to an open fire. And we sit down on some rocks and some logs, and because we had no strength and no emotional energy to really do anything else, we opened up God's word, and we just started talking about what he had for our lives that day. And as we're talking, one of the village spiritual leaders comes with three glasses of tea, and he hands them to us, and he sits down on an adjacent rock, and he kind of folds his arm, and he starts watching us. And after a few moments, he begins to look at us, and you can see this question is forming in his brain, and he breaks in, and he says, what is this book, this book that you're reading? And the way that we could best help him understand, we said, this is the book of the greatest spirit. This is the book that tells us that the great spirit made all of the other spirits and that he has more power than them. But most importantly, this is the book that tells us that he made you and he made me and he loves us like a father loves a child. And over the next 10 minutes, we had the opportunity to share with him not only the story of God's word, but of God's love. And at the end of that conversation, he looked at us with tears forming in his eyes, and he said, do you have one of these books in my language? I have to have one of these books. We told him the next time we came to the village, we would get him a copy, and we did. Now listen, church, I would love to be able to stand before you this morning and tell you that that entire village has come to know Jesus Christ. I can't. To my knowledge, they haven't. We've been back through. We've continued the relationship. But this morning, I can tell you that we did what God called us to do. Listen, church. We prepared the way for them to understand and have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reality is, is that you can do the same every single day of your life. The third moment in John's life that we need to pay attention to, not only was he born with a purpose called to prepare the way, but John also knew his ministry. He knew his role. Now, when I left four years ago, that was a popular saying, at least where I live, know your role. My wife has told it to me all the time, get out of the kitchen, know your role, do that kind of stuff. But John is unique in this, and you need to understand how unique this is, because this is not something that we readily see not only with god's men and god's people but in secular world people don't understand what their giftings are and what their role is what god has called them to do if you turn to john chapter 3 we'll read about john's understanding matthew mark luke john john chapter 3 about john's understanding of his role of what god wants for him john chapter 3 verses 26 it says this it says they came to john now first of all they are the disciples of john they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man. Now, who is that man? That man they're talking about is Jesus. That man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. Verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. 
You see, John understood what his role and his purpose was in God's calling for his life. The first thing that John understood about his role was what? What does he tell his disciples? I am not the Christ. You see, John not only understands what he's supposed to do and who he is, he also understands who he isn't. He needs to describe to his disciples that he is not the Christ. Listen, he had a clear understanding that he was not the Messiah. No matter how many people came to him and flocked to him and, and listened to him and were baptized to him, he understood that no matter how good he was, no matter how, how wonderful his ministry was, he would never be able to save his own soul, let alone anyone else's. And I have to break this to you this morning. Neither can you. Hear that, church, because sometimes we get a Messiah complex. Sometimes we take a responsibility upon our shoulders that doesn't belong there. That we think somehow through our actions, through our efforts, someone will come to know Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is it doesn't matter how good you are, how hard you work. If Jesus Christ is not working through your actions, they will come to no avail. You see, I know I do this all the time. I put this pressure that somehow if I'm a good missionary, this nation will come to know Jesus Christ, and, and it's my responsibility. I've got to live this way. I've got to work this hard. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. It's garbage. We are not the Christ. The second thing that John understands, not only does he understand who he is, and he understands who he is. What does he tell his disciples? I am the friend of the bridegroom. Now, in modern-day language, this is what I imagine this to be. I am the sidekick hero. I am the Robin to the Batman. I think that illustrates it really well for us because Robin's role was simply there to supplement what Batman was trying to do. You see, John got it that his role was simply to be a support to what Jesus was supposed to fill, fulfill in this world. The third thing that he says, and it's probably the most important, is the last thing, verse 30. It says, he must become greater, and I must become less. I wish, I wish I could somehow bring to you the understanding of the incredibleness of this simple sentence. You see, John is no longer the hobo. He's no longer the bum that's living under the bridge. This guy is now the preeminent prophet of a nation. He is the spiritual guru of people. They're literally flocking to him by the thousands. He baptized Jesus. And yet, at this moment, his disciples, and let me just help you understand what's happening here. His disciples are coming to him and they're saying, that guy over there, they're using a lot of respect, aren't you? We're okay? All right. No, it's all right. I just didn't know if there was like a guy with a gun up here or something. Wow, all right. Scared me for a minute. He's coming to say that that guy over there, they're using a lot of respect about Jesus. That guy, he's stealing your disciples. Your followers are flocking to him. And it doesn't say this in Scripture, but this is what I imagine the attitude is. What are you going to do about it? You see, his disciples are literally challenging John to stand up for what belongs to him. They're challenging him to, to fight for those people, for those followers, for that importance, for that influence in those people's lives. And the reality is, in one of the most amazing sentences in the history of mankind, John not only understands his role, but he understands what God's role is in this. 
And what does he say? He says, he must become greater and I must become less. You see, John understood that, that if, if Jesus was going to fulfill the role of Messiah in this world, if Jesus was going to come and make a difference in the world in which we live, that he would have to step into the background and Jesus would have to step forward. That Jesus would have to take the preeminent spot. And if you look at God's word, and if you begin to understand the stories of what's going on here, you see that John is literally moving into the background of history. He disappears. He's gone. And all of a sudden, Jesus' public ministry begins, and Jesus is the center point of the scriptures. Church, we have to do the same thing. We have to do the same thing. You see, if Jesus is going to become the Messiah in our world, we have to get out of the way. You see, just like John was willing to, to help Jesus be ushered into the forefront, we need to force our sinfulness. And listen, I know we don't talk a lot about sin in our world anymore. We talk about our problems and our issues. But listen, it's sin. We need to force our sin to the background of our lives. We need to deal with it. We need to deal with our selfishness and our attitudes and our frustrations. Listen, when you have a bad day at work, you need to deal with that, and you need to force it to the background of your life so that when you bump into that gas station worker, they don't see you. They don't see your attitudes and your issues. What do they see? They see the Jesus that lives inside of you. The best story I have of this, and, and I'll tell it pretty quick, but is about my wife. My wife is a phenomenal woman of God. I'm blessed beyond understanding. Um, besides salvation, she's the greatest gift God has given me. But my wife has felt called to be a missionary since she was eight years old. We finally make it to the mission field, and life is different than what she expected. We have two kids at that exact moment, one on the way, now we're expecting our fourth. And mission work isn't exactly what she had hoped it would be. Primarily, she was taking care of the family. And the Lord started dealing with her and started saying, your role, your purpose, your calling is to be a good mom and a good, good wife. That at this stage, at this moment in your life, that's what I have for you. And to her credit, she grabbed that role. She grabbed that purpose and said, okay. And she started doing things that would, would help our family to be a better mom, to be a better wife. One of those things was making popcorn. Listen, we lived up in the middle of nowhere. We don't have enough electricity to run a microwave. And so we make popcorn the old-fashioned way. She's got oil in a pot with corn, and she is shaking the pot. I don't know if you've ever remembered how to do that. Yeah, some of you people are looking at me like, what in the world? You shake the pot so it doesn't burn to popcorn. Okay, it's that simple. And she's making popcorn. She's just serving our family. She takes the bowls upstairs and, and she serves our family. But while she's making the popcorn, she's singing praises to Jesus. She's worshiping our Lord. Now, at that particular time, we had a family that, that was living with us, a young man that had just gotten saved a few weeks before. He'd been kicked out of his family, lost his job. He had just gotten married. His wife was extremely angry with him, but they came to live in our home. She's singing praises to Jesus. The next morning, this young man who'd just been saved comes to me, and he begins to describe to me a story about his wife. He was so frantic. He looked at me and said, I don't know what's going on. There's something happening with my wife. And, and the story he laid out was that basically for the last seven years, his wife had been harassed by demons, spirits. Every time she was in a dark place, she closed her eyes. She saw visions of spirits coming and attacking her. And he said, last night she was having one of these fits 
The spirits were coming and she was writhing around and your wife was downstairs. We had no idea this was happening. She's making popcorn and she's singing. And she goes, when she said the name of Jesus, she screamed. But then she's told me later that in her vision, the demons screamed and they fled. They ran away, tearing their clothes. He said, for the first time in seven years, that young girl had a, a peaceful night of rest. And he goes, what do we do? We began to describe to them the necessity of once the house has been cleaned, that Jesus come and fill. I encouraged her, that was a Sunday morning, to go to one of the underground churches. And she went there, and just by chance, the way God orchestrates this, one of the, a, a, a lady from the capital city was up there to give her testimony about being delivered from demon possession. And she ended up spending that entire afternoon with this lady as she traveled from village to village telling people about the power of Jesus Christ. And at the end of that day, they pulled into our driveway. He drove our speed to light truck. And I watched those two women in the back. I'm peeking through the windows of my house. And I watched that woman lead that young girl to Jesus Christ. Why did it happen? Because my wife knew her role. God called her to be a wife and a mom. But she did it with the love of Jesus Christ in her heart. Listen, it's not about what we do. It's not about whether you're a missionary or a pastor or whether you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter if you work in an office or you're a nurse or you're a mechanic. It doesn't matter. It's not about the role that you play. Whatever God has called you to do, what's important is that you do it with the love of Jesus Christ in a way that prepares the world to encounter Jesus. That's what it's about. The last, last moment. You guys can keep playing that we want to pay attention is in Matthew. And we're going to respond here in just a moment. Matthew chapter 11. The last moment in John's life that we need to pay attention to is the fact that he had an end. Verses 2, 11, 2 says this, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Do you understand what's happening here? John is literally in prison. His head is about to be removed from his shoulders, and he sends his disciples to find out if Jesus is the Messiah. I don't know if that bugs you, but it really bothers me. It should. This is John the Baptist. And what appears to be happening is that John is questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah. This is the guy that stood in the river and saw the dove descend, the big booming voice that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is the guy that baptized Jesus, that in all these scriptures we've been reading is the guy that's prophesying that Jesus is the one. And he's at the end of his life, and he's doubting. It bugs me. It scares me, because what does that mean for me? What does that mean for me at the end of my life? When my day comes, will I be doubting whether Jesus is the one? Now, I have to be honest. I've wrestled with this and wrestled with this and wrestled with this. And I've come to an alternate ending. I don't believe that John was doubting whether Jesus was the Messiah. 
I know he's asking that question, but I believe there's an underlying motive. I know that that, that appears to be what's happening, but I believe he wants to know something else. And I'll tell you why. I, I believe he wants to know not whether Jesus is the Messiah, but instead whether he got it right whether he fulfilled the purpose and the plan that God had for his life, whether he prepared the way for the Messiah to come into this world. And the reason I believe this is because of the way that Jesus replied. He didn't say, yes, I'm the Messiah. What did he say? He said, this is what I'm doing. See, both John and Jesus would have known Old Testament scripture, which is where this comes from. That this is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about what the Messiah would do on this planet. And even though John appears to be asking, are you the Messiah? I believe he's asking, did I fulfill my role? You see, John would not see Jesus go to the cross. He would not see him go into the grave and be raised three days. He wouldn't see him spend 40 days with his, 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 his followers. He wouldn't see him ascend into heaven. He wanted some reassurance that he had gotten it right. And Jesus replies by saying this, I am fulfilling the messiahship he didn't say i'm the messiah i am fulfilling the messiahship and what he was telling john was because of you i am doing what god has called me to do it's incredible church i want you to bow your heads and to close your eyes with me church God, we are a people that want to encounter you. We've got a few more moments this morning because we want to interact with you. Church, I, if, if you had one thing to walk away from this morning, it's this simple thing. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. Every person in this room, God not only knows the number of hairs on your head, he knows the days that you have. He knows the breaths that you breathe. He knows everything about you. And beyond that, he loves you. He cares about you. He has a purpose and a plan for you. And he wants you to be obedient. We didn't talk about it, but John is this crazy man in the wilderness and the Holy Spirit comes up and he says, John, now is the time to prepare the way. And in that moment, we forget that John had a choice. John is, is human, he's flesh and blood, and he's half crazed, living off the land, a wild man. And he has a choice. Will I be obedient to the call that God has on my life or will I continue to live in the world. This morning, you have the same choice. I believe so wholeheartedly that pastors' uh, a vision for this year of being a miracle year begins this morning because I believe it begins with the decision to be obedient to the calls and the purposes that God has on your life. That's where I, I believe so morning, so, so incredibly intensely that it begins this morning because this morning you will decide whether this year will be a year that you pursue his purposes, his passions, and his plans. Listen, I'm forcing you into that decision. You don't have a choice. You have to decide. And if you think you just won't decide this morning, you are deciding. Will we be a people? Listen, church, will we be a people? Will we be a people that prepares the way for the world to encounter him? Will we be a, a people that is single-focused, single-minded on our Jesus? Will we be a people that, that, that allows the, the selfishness, the humanness, the sinfulness in our lives to be removed so that the people in our world can see the Jesus inside of us? 
Will we be obedient? Will we prepare the way? I'm going to ask something of you this morning that you make that decision. And this is what I'm going to ask. If you're willing to come and say, I will be obedient to God's purposes and plans for my life, come forward. I don't know what they are. Listen, church, and quite frankly, it's not up to me. It doesn't really matter to me. That's not what this morning is about. This morning is about making a decision to be obedient to God. Listen, people are going to be looking. People are going to be concerned about other people. I don't care. Be concerned about yourself, about whether you're going to live for Jesus Christ starting today. Now, that may mean that you begin a salvation, accepting Jesus in your heart this moment. And I, I pray that, that when you come forward, you talk to me or you talk to pastor or some of the other people here that will help you understand the steps to take to accept Jesus Christ in your life. And you may not even understand that, but you know that Jesus is speaking to your life. But there are people in this room that have forgotten their role. You're doing all sorts of other stuff and you have a role to play. If you're willing to do that, come. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to plead. Just come. Just come. Let's worship our God. Let's cry out to him. Let's talk to our Lord and say, God, what do you have for us this year? What do you have for me individually? But what do you have for Gateway? Just come. Don't be shy. Don't be hesitant. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in this place. Cry out to the Lord. Raise your hands. Raise your voices. Say, oh God, help me. Help us, church. Help us, church. Oh, I'm not asking you to do anything that we haven't been willing to do on our own. Willing to do in our lives that God has called us to. To be obedient. Listen, he may call you halfway around this world. He may call you to desolate places. He may call you to hard places. He may call you to stay here. Will you be obedient? Will you be obedient? Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Name above all names. You're worthy of all the praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. name above all names. Sing that again. We're singing name above all names. One more time. Name above all names. And you are worthy of all praise. How will see how great is our God. Great is our God. 
great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great is our God. And how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great is our God, our God, your great Lord, because your name's above every name, and you are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great. For the name above all names, you are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. It's the splendor of the King, Lord, your clothing man. Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great is our God. How great, how great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great our oh God, Lord, your great, how great is our God. Oh, you're worthy, Lord, you're worthy, Lord. You're worthy to be You're worthy of 
sit at your feet drink from the cup in your hand back against you and breathe feel your heart beat love is so deep it's more than I can stand melt in your peace I want to sit I want to sit at your feet Drink from the cup in your hand. Lay back against you and breathe. Feel your heart beat, Lord. This love is so deep. It's more than I can stand. Melt in your peace. more I seek you.
wanna, I don't wanna move, change the, the mood or the, the situation of where people are praying this morning, but I was over there and I just, I had this overwhelming sense. And I, let me just preface this, that I am not a big prophecy guy. I believe in prophecy, but God doesn't use me that way normally. And I don't know that this is for one person or if it's just for a group of people, but the Lord was just pounding on the back of my head saying, there are people in here that need to learn to trust me. I know that the world is a scary place. Listen, we understand financial problems. We understand uh, people in our family have lost jobs. We understand all of the repercussions. Listen, we weren't planning on having four kids, but we've got them. I understand. Um, you know, we're not some sp super spiritual people that don't live in this world. But there are people in this place, or maybe it's one person that's struggling with being willing to say, God, I trust you enough to give you my life. And he's begging with you this morning. Listen, if I had to choose my life, it would not be in Laos. It would not be half a world away from my parents, from my family. It would not be in a situation where my kids struggle and don't know the culture and don't know the world. It wouldn't be eating all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, those are fun things for a trip. But to live there, to, to give your life to that? But can I tell you what? God has brought more peace, more fulfillment, more joy to my life because we were willing to say yes. We are having an adventure. We are having a wonderful time. And God is providing, and God is taking care of our families and, and all of those things. But it's because we're obedient. This scripture has been rolling around in my head for the past number of days, and I believe it's this morning is why. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things shall be added unto you. Do you understand what that says? If we place God, if we place our lives in him, if we trust him with everything that we have first, if we give him it all, all the other stuff will take care of itself. But he has to be first. Let's pray together. God, if you're willing to just raise your hands with me and ask the Lord to agree with with me in my prayer. Just raise your hands to the Lord and it's a sign of surrender. God, I want you to be first in my life. God, I, I want to give you my life today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that because God, I know that I cannot do it on my own. I want to trust you, oh Lord Jesus. I know it's not in my nature. It's not in who I am. I want to control things. I want to orchestrate. I want to plan. I want to structure. But God, I need to learn to trust you and Lord, I pray that as you've been speaking to me, that you will speak to the individual or individuals in this place that needed to hear that. That you will reassure them that you love them more than they love themselves. That your plans are better than their own plans. And that we will be willing to live dangerously and step out in faith and give not only our salvation to you, but our lives while we're here on this world to you. Help us, Jesus. Help us be that people. In your precious and holy name, amen.
the students that are in the room. And Paul, I want you to come here for a moment. And uh, uh, I know that this itineration, this this travel, uh, you're by yourself a lot. And uh, I, I love the, some of the protection that you've provided. Uh, you know, sleeping, you know, not being at hotels, and and uh, I think that speaks of your character. Um, and uh, you're away from your family a lot. I think you said this month alone. You'll be away from your, your family or with your family only a few days. And uh, students, I want you to come and just put your arm on, uh, on, on uh, Paul. And, uh, and just, uh, just we're going to ask God to, to touch Paul in a significant way and uh, that he's going to continue to be used, uh, that the funds he needs, which he didn't even talk about money this morning, uh, will be provided for. And, uh, and when, I, when I finish in prayer... Um, what I'd like to do, uh, uh, what I'd like to do is we'll we'll close, and uh, instead of taking an offering together, uh, as you are dismissed this morning, uh, we'll ask uh, we'll have some ushers at the door. You can uh, participate in an offering, our tithes and offerings, and then of course, if there's envelopes on the back table, you can designate funds. You can put it to Laos or to the uh, missionary uh, Burkhart um, or Southeast Asia. Um, just designate, and we'll get those funds to him. Uh, but we want we want to lift him up and uh, ask God uh, to continue to put his hand. Um, we used to do this uh, when I was a children's pastor. We'd have the kids pray for missionaries. And as we did that, uh, God birthed inside of our students a heart for missions. And uh, that's one of the reasons I want to bring these students here at this moment. As you are praying for Paul, this morning, I believe that God can speak to your heart, students, and that God can put in your heart dreams and, and vision and, and passion to reach the lost. Not only where you are in your school, but, but perhaps as a career as we look forward to the future. And uh, we want to be open to that. And as you pray and bless, a blessing is going to come back to you as well. Let's pray. Father, we lift up the Burkhart family. Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon them in an incredible way for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, I realize this morning that you have ordained this time together for your purposes, for your plans. And God, I pray, Lord, as these students have their hand on Paul, Lord, I pray that your spirit would refresh Paul Burkhart in crystal right now in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would just birth within him, God, freshness, God, a power, God, that he has not seen in his ministry. And God, that as he has declared your word this morning, Lord, that you would lay a path before him, that he would continue in obedience and continue in righteousness. God, I pray that you would put a hedge of protection around him and his kids. God, I pray for this this uh, newborn that, that uh, Crystal is still, still carrying. God, that it'll be healthy and whole and there'll be no complications. God, I pray that you will bless Paul, God, in an incredible way. And in return, God, that you'll be blessing these students and these families that are represented for your glory, for your honor. God, thank you for your touch. Thank you for your power. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this together. How great. How great.
is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great. Let's stand together. Let's stand as we finish. Hallelujah, how great, how great. Oh, God. Oh, we bless your name. Sing with me how great is our God. And all with me how great, how great. God, He's the name above all names, and you're the name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. God, sing with me how great is our God. Oh, see how great, how great is our God. In just a moment, we're going to leave singing this prayer. How great is our God. We have the victory. I'm going to encourage every family, every person to do something for Paul and Crystal Burkhart. I'm going to encourage you to be faithful in your tithes and offerings this morning as we would exit. But Lord, I pray that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's sing that again. How great is our God.